Welcome to Blessings in Christ Radio. I'm Scott Roberts. We are also the Church of Christ, preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Today, J.W. Holcomb continues his lesson on Acts chapter 2. We hope that you enjoy the lesson, and we also ask that you like us on Facebook. Thank you. There's a story so unkind in the holy book we find. And it tells how Jesus stood alone one day. False accused and that condemned, yet they found a fault in him. The man who wore the scarlet purple stood alone forsaken on that day and they placed upon his head a crown of thorns of bloodstained red the man who wore the scarlet purple robe in the common judgment hall he was mocked and spit Tears of sorrow fell upon his cheeks. Soldiers of the wicked band smote him with their evil hand. The man who wore the scarlet purple robe. Purple robe my Savior wore. Oh, the shame for me he bore. As he stood begins with verse 46 of Acts chapter 2. However, I do want us to emphasize again what we have studied here in the latter part of our studying in Acts the second chapter. Keep in mind that as we begin this chapter, Jesus was with his apostles. He'd been resurrected from the dead and he went with them out to uh, Bethany and there he uh, was, uh, uh, he ascended from them, he was taken up from them, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And uh, two men stood by in white apparel and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heaven? The same Jesus has taken up from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He promised these apostles the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, 5, and that they would receive power after the Spirit had come upon them, Acts 1 and verse 8, and they would be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They returned to Jerusalem where they were to wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. In Acts the second chapter, the Spirit came. Now remember that Peter had been told by Jesus, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what these men taught as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit is bound in heaven, friends. And you cannot be saved without doing what these men taught that people must do in order to be saved. And so we find that the Holy Spirit came upon these men. They began to speak the gospel as the Spirit gave them utterance. About 17 different nations of Jews was represented speaking different languages. These men spoke in their tongues or languages until they all heard this message in their own tongue wherein they were born. That's what these speaking in tongues were, different languages, and they could be understood by somebody somewhere that spoke that language, don't you see? And so it would have been useless to have spoken in a language that no one present would have been able to understand. So they could understand what the will of God was. They could uh, learn and obey and they heard the message in their own tongue or language wherein they were born. And then when the gospel was preached that they had taken him with wicked hands and crucified and slain the Lord and that God had raised him up from the dead, that prophecy had been fulfilled, uh, that prophesied that he would be resurrected from the dead and be made both Lord and Christ and rule on David's throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, then... When they heard this message, they were pricked in the heart, and they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, every child of God, every person that obeys the gospel has a change of spirit. That is, when they genuinely repent, of sins, then that old spirit is pushed out of their lives and the Holy Spirit takes over in that life and the Holy Spirit will not dwell in an unclean temple. But if we clean up uh, this uh, inward man, clean up this temple in which we dwell, then friends, the Holy Spirit will dwell in us and will uh, encourage us and help us and strengthen us in doing the things that God Almighty has commanded of us. And so these people gladly received the word, and there was about 3,000 that obeyed and were baptized, and they were added to the church, as we see here in Acts 2, 47. This is the first place that you read about the church of Christ as being now in existence. So there about 3,000 souls were added to the church. So here is where the church of Christ came into existence. And you know this was according to prophecy. 
in Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, it shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. They shall come and say, Let us go up unto the Lord's house, unto the house of the God of our father Jacob. He shall teach us of his ways, and we'll walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Notice that when the house of the Lord was established, uh, the word would go forth from Jerusalem. That's why these apostles were told to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And they were told this by the Lord. Uh, and so uh, Luke 24, 49 is a record where he told them to thus tarry. They went there, they waited, the Holy Spirit came, they began to preach this gospel message. All of this by the divine power and providence of God Almighty, everything coming to pass exactly as God Almighty had planned and purposed that it would. And so there was about 3,000 people that heard the word preached, believed the message, repented of all sin, and were baptized uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, and they were added to the church of Christ. This was the beginning of the church. Now notice, in the house of God was to be established in Jerusalem, and in 1 Timothy 3.15, it tells us the house of God is the church. You know, God has a family. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, I bow my knees unto the Father, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, both in heaven and in earth, is named. That's why we wear the name Church of Christ. That's God's family. The Lord adds, uh, as children are born into the family of God, born again, as we read in John 3, born of water and of the Spirit, then they are added to the church by the Lord. They are citizens in the kingdom. They are members of the household or the family of God Almighty. And so they are children of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So you see, friends, what these people did to become members of the church of Christ. And this was the beginning of the church. This is the first you read now through the Bible about the church being in existence. It's called the family of God, the house of God. It's called the, the vineyard of the Lord uh, that we are to work in. And so it is God's household, his family, his children. It's made up of his children that we become children of God. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Now, after these people had obeyed about 3,000 souls and they had been added to the church, then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You see, after we obeyed the, obey the gospel of Christ, we're to learn how to live the Christian life. We're to continue to study our Bibles and learn what the apostles taught Remember, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They had God's message. So God didn't leave anything undone. He has revealed unto us what we must do to be saved, then how we're to live and conduct ourselves in this life that we may remain saved in a saved condition from all past sins. 
And so we must assemble and worship in spirit and in truth, and we must mold our lives in harmony with the gospel, live soberly and righteously and godly, a faithful Christian life. Be thou faithful unto death. The Lord has promised, and I'll give you a crown of life, Revelation 2.10. So we come together uh, upon the first day of the week, and we sing praises unto God without the use of instruments of music because we can't read that the early church did that. In Ephesians 5.19, we're told to sing, and we're told where to make the melody in our hearts unto the Lord. And so that's what we do. We sing, and we pray to God, and, and then we teach God's Word, and Upon the first day of every week, we commune with the body and blood of Christ. We break bread in a memorial service of his body that hung upon the cross, and we drink the cup, the fruit of the vine, as a memorial of his blood that he shed upon the cross for our sins. And then we lay by in store, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, of our means according as God has prospered us through the past week. We give for the supporting of the church. We don't call upon the center people of the world to support the work of the Lord. The Lord intended the church to do that. And friends, that's why you never hear us ask for any contributions on this radio program. This time is made possible by Christian people laying by in store of their means as God has prospered them and then the church of the Lord has the means to carry on its work, whatever the expense might be, in order to carry the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world and for us to be able to assemble and worship as God has commanded of us. We know that the fact that we're commanded to assemble necessitates a place of assembly. And so that all has to be provided. And God gave us one way of raising funds uh, for any necessity that the church would have of taking care of its poor saints or spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever that expense might be, then this is the way the Bible teaches that it is to be done. Friends, can you not see the difference between the true church of our Lord Jesus Christ and denominationalism the way things are going on in this world and people sending money to preachers and making multi-millionaires out of them and all of the things that's going on in the world when those people have never obeyed the gospel. They're not even citizens in the kingdom of God's dear son in the first place. This is a sad thing, but friends, it's true nevertheless. And so notice that they then sold their possessions and goods and parted them to every man as every man had need. And just before our time ran out on our previous program, I emphasized this fact that they had traveled far distances out of every nation under heaven at that time, the uh, inhabited nations speaking different languages. And they had uh, brought provisions for the time that they would normally be there to keep this feast so they could then return to their home. But a great and notable, wonderful thing has happened. Prophecy has been fulfilled. The house of the Lord, the church of Christ, has been established. And now they are so enthused and overwhelmed that they stayed longer than provisions had been made to stay. Those that did have possessions and goods, they sold them and parted to every man as he had need. So they had all things common as we read in verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Friends, do you see the word the? How many churches was established by the Lord? How many did the Lord promise to build? In Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It, he built one. And the Bible says there's one body, Ephesians 4, 4. The Bible says the body is the church, Colossians 1, 18. So there is one body, there is one church. There is one plan of salvation that must be obeyed. And when that's obeyed from the heart, Romans 6, 17, 18, then the Lord adds that individual to the church. That person becomes a member of the household of God, God's family, God's children, God's people. And they're all in the church of Christ. I, I say that in love. I say that kindly. But please, please think about it, neighbor, and leave ever false away and come with us. We'll do you good. Come and obey the gospel plan of salvation that you know is right and cannot be wrong because you can read it. You can see what these holy men of God told individuals that they must do to be saved. We're pleading with you, and you'll be the winner if you'll listen. If you will lay aside your prejudice, your preconceived ideas, and come with us and obey the truth of the gospel and unite yourself with those that are standing four square upon the truth of the gospel of Christ, you're going to be the winner. And if you refuse this, friends, you're going to lose everything that's worth anything. You're going to lose your soul, and you will burn eternally in hell as the ceaseless ages of eternity rolls on if you don't obey this plan of salvation that was taught by these men who were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to do what God intended to be done, to teach what God intended to be taught. And so, notice that they were united, they praised God, they had favor with all of the people, they saw the love, the unity uh, between these uh, children of God, and it caused them to have favor with all of the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People were learning this truth and obeying this truth daily as they continue to preach the gospel in the name of a crucified, buried, and resurrected Lord. Now, not only did the Holy Spirit give the power to the apostles to preach a gospel that had not been written, to bring to their remembrance all things that they were to go into the world and teach, but there needed to be a means of their confirming their word. People may look upon them as just other human beings, and uh, they may wonder, well, what authority do they have to bind these things, to teach that we must do these things? So along with bringing to their remembrance all things whatsoever God had commanded them to teach, God intended that they would be able to perform miracles by the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit, even to the point of raising the dead so that they would be able to convince people that they were 
not just speaking from a human standpoint, but that their message was the Spirit's message, that their message was truly from heaven. As we enter in to the third chapter of the book of Acts, we'll see here that that is true, and miracles began to be wrought by the apostles. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Now notice, this man expected to receive a gift from them, an arm. He was there for that purpose. He'd been lame from his birth. This man never had walked, friends. But by the divine providence of God, this man was there because God knew the end from the beginning, and he wanted these men to be able to have opportunity to prove to the people beyond any shade or shadow of doubt that they truly were men of God. So here was this man looking upon them and expecting a gift from them. In verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter didn't have silver and gold, he said, to give unto him. That's what the man was expecting, evidently. That's what he was laying there for. But Peter had something he could give him that all of the money in the world couldn't buy that was worth more to him than anything else in this world. Now, friends, we have something that we can pass on to you that's worth more to you than all of the silver and gold in this world. For what is a man profited, though he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We don't have a lot of this world's goods, but we have the gospel plan of salvation. We have the truth concerning the church that Christ said, I will build. We can tell you what you are commanded to do by the Lord that will cause the blood of Jesus Christ to blot out every sin that you ever committed. And you'll be given a clean page of life, no soil spots, no blemishes upon that page. You will arise from scriptural baptism to walk in newness of life. And if you will live as the gospel of Christ teaches you, faithfully doing the will of the Lord until death, you will enjoy all of the pleasures of heaven eternally, where there will be no pain and suffering and sorrow and disappointments and heartaches and tears that are shed, such as we encounter in this life here now. You see, that's worth more than everything in this world. We have the truth, neighbor. And Jesus said the truth shall make you free, John 8, 31 and 32. We're not here teaching the commandments and doctrines of men. We're here to warn you against such. 
We want you to believe the Bible. We don't want you to believe what I teach just because you hear me say this. We want you to write down the passages we give. We want you to turn from day to day into your Bible and read and study with us and see that we are rightly dividing the word of truth. And we're telling you exactly what God has commanded you to do to be saved. And if you will do it, then friends, you will be saved because God's word is truth. And you will be added to the church by the Lord. You'll be in the only safe place for any human beings to be in upon this earth today. A member of the church of Christ. Citizen in the kingdom of God's dear son over which Jesus is now ruling and reigning, King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling over his kingdom, which is the church of Christ. We plead with you, come with us, neighbor. We'll do you good. Now notice Peter and, and John said, we don't have uh, silver and gold to give you, but such as we have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping stood up. Now notice this man had never walked, hadn't been able to stand even on his feet since his birth. He never had been able to. He'd never experienced this. Notice the power of this baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit that was given unto the apostles to confirm the word. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle has been wrought among you. These signs were peculiar to the apostles, friends, so they could confirm this word to be God's word. And so he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God oh he had something money could not buy well this was for the purpose of confirming God's word and notice this now in verse uh, 9 and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. That's what God intended them to do, to be amazed at the power of God in these men of God that was given this power to confirm their word. Now, friends, the word has already been confirmed. And if I could cure the headache if I could cure a disease, if I had the power that they did today, it would not change God's word one least in this world, not one bit. Now, what would be the purpose of it? Now, what the denominational preachers are doing, they're claiming to have this power that the apostles had because they want that to confirm to the people that their word is true, that God is with them. Well, if they're just preaching the Bible, they don't need anything else to confirm that they're preaching the truth other than to just give the book, chapter, and verse, the scripture, to show that they are preaching the truth. That's all they need to do. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that these spiritual gifts, 
that God gave in the beginning to confirm the word would cease, and that would be when that which is perfect came. And in James 1.25, that's the perfect law of liberty, the gospel. When this law of Christ was completed in the New Testament in writing so that people could read and study it and know the will of God, the need of such miracles ceased. Uh, and, and that now, we don't need to confirm the word that I teach to be God's word by miracles, wonders, and signs because I have uh, God's means uh, of proving that what I'm teaching is right. I have the Bible, the book, chapter, and verse in the gospel sealed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ in which I can show you that what I'm teaching is the true word of God Almighty. So they perform this miracle, they heal this man, and we'll read of many other such miracles to show that what they were teaching was right. You notice right after the first sermon was preached and people began to obey the gospel, then in order to confirm this word, they began performing miracles to confirm this word, showing that this truly was the word of God. Well, I see again my time is gone until our next program. I'm going to say goodbye.